it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In the deep reaches of the unknown regions, many civilizations existed without much interaction with the wider galaxy. Unnoticed, they would exist unmolested by the changing tides of interstellar politics and grow unimpeded by turmoil of never-ending conflict. Amidst the darkness of those unmapped regions existed a society and species who had come to be known as the Chiss. Blue-skinned, red-eyed, and black-haired humanoids in appearance, socially disciplined and technologically advanced. The Chiss would eventually emerge from the shadow of their hidden recesses of space and contribute to their, in their own way to the shaping of galactic history. You are listening to the Star Lores Podcast. <laughs> Ascendancy. The territory known as the Chiss Ascendancy, alternatively referred to as Chiss Space or the Chiss Empire by outsiders, encompassed a sector situated within the unknown regions and was under the rule of the Chiss civilization. It is organized under an aristocratic oligarchy where a small group of elite families govern as part of the ruling circle or ruling council that was composed of anywhere between three and as many as 12 families at various points during Chiss history. Each of the families could be identified by a distinct color, adorning the shoulder patches of the defense fleet uniforms worn by its officers and warriors or colored robes of its civilians and leaders. Each family held jurisdiction over specific sectors within the Chiss government, with designated representatives bearing titles over their area of leadership. Chiss family ranks, ranging from the least to greatest privilege within a ruling family, included merit adoptive, trial-born, ranking distant, cousin, sibling, brother or sister. Additionally, a rank known as, quote, shadow child existed, concealing individuals to safeguard the ruling family from complete annihilation by adversaries. Although these titles often denoted blood relationships, they could also be granted based on merit. While each family was essentially a kin group, it encompassed adoptive members not born into the oligarchy, 
For instance, all Chiss warriors held the status of merit adoptos of a ruling family during their service in the Chiss Defense Fleet or Chiss Expansionary Fleet. Conversely, being named trial-born enabled capable commoners to strive for permanent matching with one of the families through processes possibly involving marriage to an eligible member. In rare instances, a trial-born match to the family might even attain the status of ranking distant. Legends dictate that the origins of the Chiss ruling families date back to ancient times, preceding the onset of the extensive ice age that enveloped their homeworld of Chisilla throughout recorded Chiss history. It was suggested that every present-day Chiss individual maintained a blood relationship with at least one of these families. However, Available sources indicate that accounts of pre-glaciation Chichilla were veiled in contradictory legends, casting doubt on the reliability of claims regarding the antiquity of the families. Moreover, considering the questionable nature of the assertion, the notion that all five trillion contemporary Chiss could trace some biological descent to no more than nine parts of historical ancestors should be approached with significant skepticism. The government was based on their homeworld and capital, Chisela, though their influence ranged to a host of other planets and colonies. Each Chis identified with one of the four families based on tradition and birthplace, although the significance of family names was largely cultural. Interbreeding had blurred bloodlines to the extent that any Chiss could claim affiliation with any ruling family. Well, family familial rivalries were uncommon due to a Chiss allegiance not typically affecting daily life, tensions simmered within the families, manifesting in a delicate power balance. Some families were even willing to incite civil war to gain supremacy and political assassinations were not unheard of among the ruling elite. These ruling families comprised clans led by government officials known as aristocrats. Members of the same house staunchly defended each other, while those of rival houses sought opportunities to undermine and gain advantages. Thrawn, though exceptional, shared the rational problem-solving approach typical of the ruling families governing the Chiss ascendancy. They generally avoided actions that would disgrace their house, with entire family lines facing exile due to the actions of a single member. Additionally, the tradition of shadow children kept anonymous to prevent the complete extermination of a family bloodline was upheld. The Chiss were very isolationist in their policies and did not welcome outsiders whom they saw as generally inferior. Because of this, most of the Chiss empire and its colonies were predominantly of the Chiss species, though they were known to ally themselves with other species such as humans of the imperial remnant and for a short time even worked with the Killicks before they broke out into war. They had abhorred the idea of preemptive warfare and alpha strikes and committed such actions could even lead to exile for an offender, 
The Chis were not inherently peaceful, however, and had a strong martial tradition, based on organization and discipline. They made war with the Kilix, among others, in the unknown regions, and the ruling families were even known to battle with one another. While the Chis ascendancy remained largely out of galactic affairs, individuals were known to wander the wider galaxy. People like Severance Tan joined the Confederacy, and the infamous Grand Admiral Thrawn found himself in a high position of command within the Imperial Navy. The Military The military of the Chiss Ascendancy epitomized rigorous training and advanced weaponry, safeguarding numerous orderly worlds within their sphere of influence. Fueled by their belief in strict discipline, they leveraged superior technology to deter enemy forces, positioning themselves as a beacon of order in the chaotic unknown regions. Although their history involved frequent warfare and conquests, the Chiss typically favored a defensive stance preferring to extend themselves only when necessary, despite facing threats in the unknown regions and outer rim. The Chiss, known for their seriousness and discipline, established a formidable military force that spanned a vast empire. Central to their military prowess was the Chiss Expansionary Defense Force, or CEDF, comprised of the Chiss Expansionary Fleet and the Chiss Defense Fleet. Methodical and cautious, they were prepared to respond with lethal force if provoked. Patrolling the unknown regions, the CEDF monitored threats with top-of-the-line capital ships and squadrons of clawcraft starfighters. Similar to the Galactic Empire, the Chiss boasted a well-armed and trained military, guarding several advanced and orderly worlds. The Naruto family oversaw both the fleet and the army, organized into 28 colonial units called phalanxes. Each phalanx, overseen by a syndic, appointed by a house leader, operated independently from the Chiss Expansionary Defense Fleet, which focused on foreign affairs rather than military operations. Members of the Chiss Defense Fleet wore black, symbolizing unity across all families, even in honor guard details. The defensive-only doctrine, also referred to as the Ascendancy Honor Code, Chiss codes of conduct, or non-aggression laws, were a fundamental law of the Chiss ascendancy. It prohibited preemptive or first strikes in warfare, punishable by exile, and had been upheld for over a thousand years, deeply ingrained in Chiss society. Senior officers of the defense fleet were devoid of any family affiliation, stripped of both family name and privilege. This measure was implemented to integrate them formally into the defense hierarchy enabling them to serve all Chiss impartial, impartially, free from favoritism or bias. As a result, military command was solely based on merit, devoid of any considerations regarding family connections. The Chiss military comprised several distinct divisions, each tasked with specific responsibilities. The defense fleet oversaw defensive fleet units under central high command. The expansionary fleet managed frontier patrols and exploration missions. Colonial phalanxes were planetary militias safeguarding Chiss colony worlds. 
Household phalanxes acted as paramilitary guards loyal to the aristocratic ruling families. And Chiss warriors serving the Empire of the Hand, including Thrawn's rogue house phalanx, had other Chiss personnel within the Empire's forces. Renowned for their prowess, Chiss warriors received training at institutions like the Chiss Academy. Their disciplined nature endowed them with exceptional strategic and tactical abilities. During conflicts like the Battle of Tinup at the Swarm War, the Chiss deployed sizable forces of armored infantry and artillery via dropships. Specialized commando units played crucial roles executing tasks such as the placement of vape charges with precision. Clad in camouflaged color-shifting armor, these commandos navigated battlefields covertly, equipped with demolition satchels and charic guns. Their unwavering dedication to their cause often led them to brave sacrificial acts in the heat of battle. The Chiss culture held a strong disdain for suicide and expendability, deeming such actions as wasteful. However, there were instances when Chiss chose to sacrifice their lives instead of surrendering, either because the strategy was crucial for their victory, or because surrendering to a particular adversary was deemed worse than death. The extensive spacefaring legacy of the Chiss culminated in the development of an unparalleled combat force, renowned for their starfighter pilots' prowess across the unknown regions. These squadrons operated under strict discipline, with pilots demonstrating mercy by sparing disabled starships upon surrender broadcasts. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Homeworld. Chisilla, the ancestral home of the Chiss, nestled within the icy expanses of Chiss space, served as the epicenter of the ascendancy. Positioned in the Chisilla system, within the unknown regions, Chisilla orbited the star of the, of the same name, situated at the convergence of the path of the houses and the Vagari Corridor. This terrestrial planet boasted a diameter of 11,080 kilometers and harbored a chilly climate, characterized by glaciers and caves, with its icy landscapes showcasing a distinctive blue hue due to the mineral content of its hydrosphere. A hub of Chis governance and commerce, Chisilla imported essential resources such as food, luxuries, and technology from its colonies. Its largest city, Chisaplar, interconnected via a network of underground tube transports, facilitated the movements of good, goods and inhabitants across the planet. The political heart of the Chis, Chisilla housed the cabinet and the parliament within the house palace on Chisaplar. Overseen by influential Chisapla family responsible for resource allocation to the populace, 
with a standard day lasting 25 hours and a year spanning 462 local days, Scylla anchored the navigation of Chiss starships through a series of strategic anchor points radiating from its core. The planet was inhabited by 8 billion sentient beings, with 99% of its population being Chiss alone. Unlike the other governing homeworld planets, who often incorporated many diverse species, such as Coruscant. In Chiss legend, their homeworld was once characterized by warm, tropical conditions. However, a significant shift occurred as the planet plunged into a profound ice age, resulting in extensive glaciation across the terrain. To adapt, Chiss ancestors migrated along the le leading edge of the advancing ice, seeking refuge in temperate zones as glaciers spread. Despite the gradual nature of this glaciation process, it coincided with a period of advanced Chiss technology, enabling them to overcome environmental challenges through technological innovations. Consequently, many believe that the early Chiss inhabited the planet prior to its transformation into an ice-covered world. Around 5,000 BBY, Chisilla was nearly inhospitable, prompting the Chiss to seek refuge underground for survival. These events catalyzed significant genetic changes in their skin tone and eye coloration. Xenosociologists speculated that this era exerted a profound psychological influence on the evolving species shaping their current mindset. However, details about these early people remain scarce. Legend suggested that once decadent culture thrived in the tropical regions, ill-prepared for the onset of the Ice Age. Some tales even recounted conflicts where northern Chiss allegedly clashed with their southern counterparts for dwindling resources and in the face of plummeting temperatures. Nevertheless, the Chiss adapted to their changing environment, harnessing geothermal energy as a primary power source. This facilitated the construction of bustling cities among the ice and the establishment of a global government. Consequently, they bypassed the tumultuous development phase characterized by internation rivalry, adopting a unified planetary language in the process. Over time, the Chiss independently mastered space travel, with speculation suggesting that they drew upon ancient memories of the colonization effort that originally brought them to their home. Biology The Chiss looked like humans in their basic physiology, except for their blue skin, red eyes, and jet black or black bluish hair that made them instantly recognizable as non-human. The color of their eyes and skin would become more pronounced based on the oxygen content of their environment. Genetic studies confirmed that the Chiss were an ancient offshoot of humanity, and it is believed that their ancestral subterranean life led to their unique evolutionary traits. The product of a human sleeper ship that had landed on Scylla 
in 27500 BBY, when the humans of Coruscant had begun seeding humanity across the stars. Their skin was believed to be the result of exposure to glacial minerals of their ice-covered homeworld. They appeared more lithe and muscular than humans on average, and they exhibited the same sexual dimorphism of human males and females. Chiss were known to be typically slightly taller than average humans overall, and their lithe and fit figures attested to an efficient and active metabolism that also contributed to a lower body temperature, and few if any could be considered overweight. Chiss were known to mature rapidly, both physically and psychologically, so that a 10-year-old Chiss would appear as a 20-year-old human. They lived on average to 80 years old, and the odd venerable Chiss hair could sometimes become gray, and was linked to superstitious beliefs of having strong and healthy offspring. The Chiss species could produce force-sensitive individuals that was very rare and looked down on by Chiss society as an unnatural abnormality. Chiss who were force-sensitive would be forced to suppress their abilities until unuse eventually caused it to all but disappear, or they were otherwise exiled. Chiss found to be actively engaging in their force abilities could even suffer immediate execution. It is from these exiles that a Chiss could find themselves joining the Jedi or Sith, having been removed from their otherwise isolated people. Philosophy, Sociology, and Religion The Chiss displayed a profound interest in art, science, and mathematics, reflecting their logical mindset and philosophical curiosity about other cultures. However, their xenophobia led them to exploit knowledge gained from other cultures to gain an advantage over potential adversaries. Chiss sages studied the threat of the Yuzhan Vong and speculated on the invaders' origin, positing correctly that they traversed the void between galaxies for countless generations, many years before the Vong would invade the galaxy. Their clinical detachment likened foes to insects under scrutiny by a biologist, leading to extreme caution and in interactions. Among non-Chiss, individuals were often aloof and contemplative, strategizing for potential confrontations. Despite their xenophobia, they would, on occasion, accept other species that proved themselves capable, but otherwise saw outsiders as inferior and barbaric. The harsh environment of Scylla cultivated a self-reliant streak among the Chiss, contributing to their famously aloof personalities and earning them a reputation for being as cold as their homeworld's ice planes. Valuing privacy and intelligence, they remained hidden from the galaxy for an extended period. Described as pensive, deliberate, and calculating, they meticulously considered various viewpoints and alternatives in any situation approaching problems with calm intelligence and strategic planning in combat. Despite their cold and disciplined demeanor, their actions were often motivated by a pursuit of power, encouraged by their ruling families. In Chiss society, self-control and 
propriety were highly prized traits, while passions were viewed it with disdain. Crime was abhorred, seen as individual weakness rather than a societal issue, and justice was dispensed without compassion, with exile being the most severe punishment due to the paramount importance of family loyalty. However, they rejected capital punishment, considering it irrational and emotionally driven. In their society, the concept of finances or money was non-existent as the state provided for all needs. With tightly controlled borders, their territory was self-sufficient, supplied by colonies and generated food, resources, and technology comparable to the rest of the galaxy. Their cultural disdain for the, quote, lesser races hindered efforts to foster relations with neighbors, and their motives for exploration and expansion remained unclear, devoid of the human drive for conquest. They didn't seek out new territory out of greed or power hunger, but rather to manage population and gather resources without disrupting their homeworld's ecosystem. Despite a population nearing 5 trillion, they maintained a cultural disdain for other species, prioritizing isolation and heritage preservation. The Chis pioneered their technology independently, although they mirrored several standard galactic advancements. Their structures often bore angular designs, possibly inspired by Scylla's icy terrain, a notable innovation was their Chiss homing beacons, a product of their hyperdrive technology, which operated efficiently with minimal energy consumption. These beacons utilized a specialized domain of hyperspace for transmissions detectable only by Chiss. Unlike other civilizations, they didn't incorporate droids into their society. They considered droids slow and vulnerable in combat situations. Despite this, vessels were heavily automated, with a cruiser of over 200 meters requiring a crew of fewer than 30 members. The Chiss did not practice any known religion as a whole, instead holding a philosophy they called the Red Flame. The Red Flame epitomized perfection within Chiss culture, embodying courage, cunning, and discipline. Military personnel like First Lieutenant Shankir Nerudu adorned their flight suits with red piping, symbolizing the pursuit of the Red Flame's ideals, recognizing that perfection might be elusive yet worth aspiring to. There were no known Force traditions among them. However, there were a handful of Force adepts that have served as Jedi and dark side acolytes throughout history. The Chiss lacked native force traditions, and force sensitive individuals were extremely rare among them. Their society deemed force sensitivity shameful and impure, leading to severe consequences for those discovered to possess such abilities. Any Chiss found to be force sensitive within the ascendancy faced immediate execution, regardless of social standing. Lower-class force-sensitive Chiss were exiled, while higher-class individuals underwent medical procedures to suppress their force talents, 
causing them to fade over time. Exiled Force-sensitive Chiss occasionally joined the Jedi or Sith, although such occurrences were uncommon. Despite remaining largely out of galactic affairs for millennia at a time, the Chiss had occasionally taken part in galactic events throughout history. During the Great Galactic War and Cold War, the Chiss allied themselves with the emergent Sith Empire, and agents could be found actively working for them as the Imperials. The Chiss were also forced to secede at least two worlds to the Eternal Empire during its conquests, but were able to reclaim them after its defeat. Thousands of years later, the Brotherhood of Darkness would raid the Unknown Regions looking for recruits and brought back a regiment of Chiss soldiers to work for them. The remnants of these soldiers stayed within the known galaxy and bred, leading to a small population of Chiss unrelated to the Ascendancy that have appeared within known space. During the Clone Wars, the official stance of the Ascendancy was to remain neutral during the conflict though they did hold diplomatic discussions with the Republic, and some individuals did serve as high-ranking commanders in the Confederacy, as well as at least one Jedi with the Republic during the war. The Chiss also defended themselves when they were attacked by the Confederacy, but limited their response to simply neutralizing the immediate threats, and then retreating back to a defensive neutral stance. In 28 BBY, amidst the looming threat of invasion, the Chiss initiated the construction of a vast interstellar fortress in the Redoubt Cluster, intensifying the project's pace as a refuge for their people, predating any renewed contact with the Republic. The Chiss had been one of the first to encounter probing actions by the Yuzhan Vong, as they sent out scouting tendrils into the galaxy before their eventual arrival and full-scale invasion many years later. During this period, a young officer named Mithra Naruto or more commonly recognized as Thrawn, emerged within the expansionary fleet, challenging the long-standing doctrine prohibiting preemptive strikes. He argued that the Chiss could not afford to be caught in a conflict against both the Vagari and the Yazan Vong simultaneously. While figures like Admiral Arulani and Syndic Thras acknowledged the peril, they viewed Thrawn's aggressive approach with caution. Shortly after, more perilous encounters with the Republic ensued. Outbound Flight, a large exploration mission led by Jedi Master Joris Kabalth, inadvertently traversed the system on the edge of Chiss space, attracting the attention of a formidable Trade Federation battle group led by Kinman Doriana, a personal agent of Darth Sidious. Despite being outnumbered, Thrawn, through superior tactics, managed to defeat the Trade Federation forces. This victory led to a pivotal meeting between Thrawn and Doriana, orchestrated by Sidious via Holonet communication, where Thrawn was persuaded that the Jedi expedition posed a threat against the Yuzhan Vong. Unknown at the time, Palpatine's favorable impression of Thrawn would reshape the galaxy's perception of the Chiss people indefinitely, and pave the road for Thrawn's ascendancy within the Empire, and eventually as its heir. The Empire of the Hand had developed a parallel government to the Ascendancy, and although mostly made from some remnants of the Galactic Empire, 
and had also recruited a significant number of Chiss and would interact with the Ascendancy within the unknown regions of space. After the fall of the Empire, another significant conflict included the war with the Siruvi Empire within the unknown regions, as well as a swarm war, where the insect-like Kilix disrupted Chiss space. This escalated into full-scale war after Jason Solo and allies launched a surprise attack on a supply depot, Thrago. The Galactic Alliance became involved upon realizing the Dark Nest's influence on the Killick colony, fueling the conflict further. In the ensuing years, the Chiss forged close ties with the Galactic Alliance, becoming one of its autonomous allied regions. During the Sith Imperial War, the Chiss sided with the Fel Empire after Chiss diplomat Fehelaur Ayate Lororo became a Moth and joined the Moth Council, representing Imperial interests. Under Darth Krat's Galactic Empire, the Ascendancy retained substantial autonomy, but yielded some control to the Empire by appointing heads of Chiss houses as high-ranking officials. The Empire granted the Ascendancy authority over large portions of the Unknown Regions. In 138 ABY, amidst the escalating Second Imperial Civil War following Dak's poisoning and Darth Krat's return, the Ascendancy remained neutral and declined Imperial requests for open liaisons much like the Hapes Consortium. Captain Coral. Freedom Flight. If you're here, best overrun by Imperials. Need enforcement. You only hope. Welcome aboard the Millennial Falcon. This is Christian. This is Jordan. We're currently sitting on the icy plains of Sela or Chella, <laughs> as the degenerates Just like to Sella. call it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think uh, reach out to us and uh, tell us how, how you pronounce. think uh, pronounce all the, these uh, names and uh, the planets and the cities and all that. Ideally, if you're Chiss, though, because we know the Chiss look down on people speaking <laughs> their language. Yeah. And they know humans can't do it. Why do you put a C in front of it? <laughs> <laughs> a C that sounds like Ch, yeah. especially. <laughs> Especially when your name is Chiss. <laughs> Everything has to start with a Ch. Yeah. It's part of their culture. That's sort of the assumption. But. It's part of their culture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the Chiss. <clears throat> the Ascendancy. Yes. <clears throat> um, I was really digging them right up until the communism part. <laughs> so <laughs> then I was like, okay. Okay, I was Communist. gonna I was to save this until maybe a little bit later in the discussion, but let's just jump into it now since you brought it up. <laughs> okay. They are a, un- a weird fusion between like strong individualist principles and communal principles or communist yeah collectivist and individualist principles which is is interesting because usually like you go extreme one or the other but they merge both like they look down on you if you're not self-sufficient and can't handle yourself like you're looked at as like an outcast like there's no such thing as social problems it's just it's your problem and you're too weak to to 
deal with it. But on the flip side, yeah, they have no money. They just give goods freely. Um, yeah, which it seems hard to imagine. I mean, I know it's fiction, but <laughs> it seems hard to imagine that you could have a society without prices of any kind. Yeah. You know, but I digress. Um, <clears throat> there's yeah, it is sort of weird that they have these elements. They have like collectivist elements, individualistic elements, and even I would say like nationalistic elements or like yeah. very like strong culture, you yeah. know, like very much protecting their culture, xenophobia and all that stuff. You yeah. Know? Um, so it's kind but of, also they're not aggressive and expansionary. <clears throat> no, they're not imperialist. They're defensive, yeah. which also leads me to their philosophy of like they're very heavy on the non-aggression principle. Yeah. Which is also interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like a fusion of extremes. Yeah, like, it's true. <laughs> it's it's strange, yeah. but that's what I like about it. It's interesting. It, it, yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Um. On that note, yeah, I just wanted to cite the non-aggression principle. It being an actual, phil- the nap philosophical yeah. principle that people have. Yeah, like I think in libertarian philosophy, that's like the uh, the non-aggression axiom or whatever. Yeah, they they call it. The only fight in self-defense. It's not quite pacifism, but it's yeah, yeah. It's, it's a step a, between. <clears throat> Sorry, got a frog in my throat. Um, you have a chist in your throat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's sort of uh, uh, you. The only legitimate use of violence is uh, against someone who's initiating force against you. Yeah. Right. If you're a non-initiating initiator of force, then there's no legitimate use of violence against you. Sort of. That I think that's that kind of the the yeah. idea of the. Non- and then they take it to such an extreme that even their military abides by these principles, right, not just yeah. even an individualist yeah. thing. Again, <clears throat> a fusion of collectivism and individualism, yeah. which is again interesting. Um. Beyond that, um, they seem to be very um, Roman-ish, Romanesque. You know, I was almost thinking not so much Roman, but I was thinking more like uh, uh, Italian, like post-Roman Empire, Itali- like it, uh, the uh, the Italian sort of families that ruled. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, like, Ancient, uh, like in medieval, Italy. well, not yeah, medieval and like Enlightenment period. Yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Medici's and like yeah, yeah, the and Machiavelli and all that. Yeah, and, you know that era. Um, I was my mind didn't go there mostly because of like the wearing of colored robes was very Roman, Romanesque. But yeah. I see what you're saying with. Like, I was just thinking with the family. Well, so the family yeah. thing comes even from pre-roman history but the romans were big on like the patricians and having like family dynasties and even the adoption of non-blood being considered like you could legitimize an heir that has no blood relation to you yeah um like julius caesar did to um octavian he had he adopted him into his family so he wasn't even like a blood relative which is something that again big with the uh maybe I'm, I'm actually reading a book right now called the shield of achilles and uh, it's sort of like a geopolitics but it's like a lot of history it's kind of a thick one too so that but he uh, i'm only thinking about it because he goes pretty deep into the um like the just pre-renaissance italian era uh, yeah. and kind of when currency money currency money was like starting to take over all of europe um and uh but yeah, implementation of the banking system. Yeah, <laughs> like the establishment of of uh, of a fractional reserve banking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and um, what's interesting is that 
the uh, like got to remember that that time this was like the nation state was like wasn't really quite a thing yet it was yeah. it was just probably the renaissance uh had had brought that into being uh but everything was just sort of like fiefdoms you know and um and, but the there were competing powers and uh one was like the princes and their domains and then the the church the catholic church right that was like another big competing power but the church at that time was also like almost hereditary and <clears throat> the pope i can't remember which pope it was but he was like basically um he was basically handing the papacy to his sons right and giving they were them, treating it like a, a kingship yeah like yeah. A, like a kingdom and you know which like um i think they've reformed since then but uh you think yeah <laughs> you're not totally sure, sure. <laughs> no, they, <do. laughs> they have they have uh, but it's like one of those periods it was probably like peak at that period the, the reformation was about to come in about 50 60 years right and uh and um this was like so this was like peak catholic corruption <laughs> at this point right like it, yeah. this is when they were at their total worst so um, but anyways, it's just interesting. It was like very familial. Everything was like families, family lines. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and even like families fighting each other and yeah, there was power and money at stake. You'd kill your brother to inherit your father's wealth. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, Hence, that, I people think like that, Machiavelli yeah. coming. Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, and the Machiavelli connection too, like yeah. with, with, uh, someone like Thrawn. Um, it, that's kind of where I, uh, kind of tied it all mentally yeah that's yeah. where i was thinking more of the yeah certainly i i don't think any one influence would go yeah. there and i think it's like part of also your predisposition of like what you're reading and so yeah, i'm exactly. always thinking about <laughs> the roman empire so of course that's going to be my default but what what's that meme the yeah men always la, like, la, yeah, la, we always uh, think, think about, about the fall of the roman empire. and if you weren't thinking about rome i'm glad you're listening to the podcast about star wars because you're now thinking about rome indeed um but yeah, I, that, that was just kind of like a, my observations. Other kind of elements you, I kind of see in them is almost in fantasy. They're almost like elvenish, as in like that slightly better than humans, but not, but but still kind of human. Yeah. Um, more the the racist don't like human version of elves. There's kind of yeah. two <laughs> two elven categories. Well, three elven categories if you count like little tiny yeah. elves. But yeah, that's true. Like the Tolkien esque elves, you have like. Tolkien's version of elves, which are like more elegant and beautiful, and they have their flaws, but they're they're almost like just better than humans. Yeah, they're like and, almost angelic. In yeah, a way. yeah. Although again, they they have their flaws, especially yeah. if you get into things like the Silmarillion. But then you also have like the elves of like um, the <laughs> the Elder Scrolls that are like oh, racist yeah. and <laughs> think they genuinely are like well, Elder Scrolls superior. Is, yeah, and Elder Scrolls is interesting because it, I think it's. The Aldmari, the High Elves, yeah. basically, they're like obviously it's in the name. They're the <laughs> they're the most arrogant of the elves, and and the Dark Elves too are like pretty racist as well. Uh, but uh, I think like the Wood Elves tend to be a little more um, savage. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're savage. No, they tend they to, don't care. As yeah, much. they don't yeah. care as much about yeah. Those it's high it's ideals, like the Aldmari yeah. Dominion in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They used to man. I love the Elder Scrolls. <laughs> New <laughs> podcast? Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't get me on that tangent because that's... Uh, yeah, but in any case, that's the kind of elf I'm referring to is right, right. the Chiss are kind of like, we're better than you. Yeah, the We chiss. know we're better than you yeah. and 
we very think high and mighty. Yeah. yeah, which again, not to draw the Romans back into this, but <laughs> the Greco-Roman culture seeing themselves as the superior culture <clears throat> to the barbarians around them, right? Yeah. It's very much how the Chiss see the rest of the world. Like, yeah, you can hang with us if you prove yourself, but otherwise the default is you're a barbarian yeah, and your culture is more primitive and not as good as ours. You know, and that actually, that whole mentality really uh, does make sense why Palpatine would want to put someone like uh, Thrawn. Thrawn in just that whole attitude. <laughs> like, <laughs> See, seems sound a little imperial. Pal- yeah. 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 He, he, he was probably thinking, like, man, I wish they weren't chess. <laughs> <laughs> if they were only human, yeah, if they're only they'd human. be as good as us. Yeah. And the chess are thinking the same thing <laughs> yeah, the other exactly. way around. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, another kind of comparison I get a lot is like a Vulcan. Yeah. Now I'm not a big Star Trek guy, so you'll have to excuse me for my ignorance. But like, no, yeah, there's there's some of that the dispassionate, yeah. like logical, like thinking. Yeah, very deliberate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I I could see. But that. I think Vulcans are kind of seen in a more positive light. Also, the Vulcans related to the Romulans, and the Romulans obviously yeah. based on the Roman Empire. Yeah. <laughs> Everything comes every road the leads Vulcans back to are, Rome. The Vulcans are the Greeks and the the Romulans are the, are the Romans. Romans. Yeah. It's basic that's basically <laughs> how it breaks Gene down. Rod- Roddenberry did it. Yeah. So <laughs> um also on that note, I get a little bit of Star Trek vibes. Again, not a Star Trek watcher, but like the um Federation Yeah. Uh, just a little like a hint like a taste united planets of federal <laughs> yeah and like having no or need, united federation no need they're their communist utopia with no need yeah <laughs> it's true yeah. yeah that that was another that's another gripe i have with Star Trek. <laughs> it's just like yeah the the like people don't work uh, when you have problems. a replicator <laughs> machine though it leads to certain it's questions. true like post-scarcity yeah or like yeah. infinite energy right yeah. like if you can just eliminate the one thing everyone needs then yeah of course you can create a utopia yeah um just a note on their biology. So one often one trope like with Star Trek and Star Wars is the fact that so many aliens just look like humans with makeup slapped on. Yeah. Um, I do like that the Chiss have that kind of explained away yeah. in that they were literally think, human once. Yeah. Uh, well, there's maybe more background to that, but I do think Star Wars is better than Star Trek. Yeah, uh, yeah there certainly is more variety. <laughs> like Star sure. Trek is pretty bad. Especially if you ever watch the OG series. Oh, yeah, not a big Star Trek yeah. guy. Yeah. But if for those people who have, like, you literally just have aliens that are just humans. <laughs> and you have no idea what makes them different than... And I think it might have it was probably just budget constraints because oh, of like, course, especially back then it was yeah. like expensive to make uh, costumes prosthetics and aesthetics and yeah. stuff like that. But um, uh, <laughs> yeah, like I I always thought Star Wars was much more creative with its uh, aliens, a- alien species, yeah. and the Chiss. I I mean. In in a sense, they almost needed to have another species that was like way more human. (laughs) I mean, there's a few like we did the whole near humans episode where they're like often just look like humans with different colors, like different colored skin isn't like crazy, like purple colored or blue in this case and like bright red eyes and things like that. But I believe um, isn't the lore. We'll have to do the uh, what is the celestials at one point. isn't yeah. the Lord basically like there is like a common ancestor among for most all humanoids? If, yeah, yeah. For most, where if they not, all come from all. like a yeah. Like again, that's, that's the story of the Chiss is that it was like a pre <clears throat> yeah preceding <clears throat> seeding as an S E E D yeah of 
the humans across the galaxy. And that's also why they're so numerous because you also have lots of humans, like full-on genetic humans, that just happen to spring up on random planets too, yeah. right? Humans are, are originally from Coruscant uh, when it went by its old name. I forget what it is off the top of my head. I can't remember. But like humans originated for Cors- from Coruscant, but then you'll find human populations, quote unquote, native to other worlds. Yeah. But that was back from like millions of years ago when they seeded these these yeah. worlds with uh, yeah, sleeper like ships a, like and Mace stuff. Windu. Yeah, exactly. They're like they're Isn't they're quite a human. But well, they 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 are human. They just they, have they're a little di- like their physiology. Yeah, they're a little more force different. sensitive yeah. and things like that. But again, like for all intents and purposes, like he is a human. Yeah, they call themselves something different. Yeah. Their origin planet is different than, let's yeah. say, another human, but they're still human. Right. And that's kind of like the the blurred line. And on that note, too, something like the Chiss. Uh, again, this is kind of a, a sci-fi trope where like it's hard to differentiate when you're talking about a culture, a species, or a civilization. Yeah. So like the Chiss civilization is a lot of what we're talking about, but sometimes you talk about like those Chiss that join the Brotherhood of Darkness, like they could consider a completely different planet, their homeworld, have a completely different culture. But when you say Chiss, you're like your mind defaults to the Chiss ascendancy, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to delineate between what you're talking about. Humans don't really do that. We're all humans, but like you're from Canada, you're from Mexico, right? Like that's a different culture. You talk about civilization, you're an Aztec, you're you know, whatever else. So just kind of a, a sci-fi trope that kind of makes it difficult to know what you're talking about when you're trying to differentiate between the Chiss species, the Chiss empire. And it's the same, like talk about the huts or any other, other species. For sure. Uh, one more quick note on the physiology of the Chiss. Um, so it says that they have a, like a really um, active meta- metabolism um, that helps them adapt to the cold environment. And this makes them cold. And I think it's like the trope is like they're cold and calculating. So they're literally like <laughs> ice in their veins, like they're cold blooded. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's really playing heavy on that note. <laughs> However, if you do have a high metabol- metabolism, typically that actually makes you warmer. You, you right, create yeah. a higher internal body temperature. Um, which also would make more sense on an ice world is that you want to have like a high internal body temperature so right. you're not relying on external temperature and it's actually cold-blooded animals that die in the cold yeah, because they can't generate heat, right? Right. Um, so just kind of a funny thing that I yeah. think just like a trope taken too far <laughs> that actually kind of backfires when you look at the biology yeah, it of it. actually make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> now granted, again, these are formerly human, now alien species, so maybe it works in their own internal logic, but just something I wanted to to Indeed. point out. All right, should we go into the mailbag here? Yep. All right. So we got a couple um, interesting emails from some fans uh, who brought up some uh, little bit, little bit of fan theory and stuff from previous episodes. So the first one is from Dawson. <clears throat> he says, "Hey guys, big fan of the show. I was just wondering. Uh, I was just going through your Mace Windu episode and was thinking of a theory around his use of the Vapad." fighting style in which that form allowed him to beat Darth Sidious. My thought is that since the form utilizes the opponent's dark side energy against themselves, it is similar to what you see in some martial arts which cap capitalize on using an opponent's momentum against themselves. 
as arguably the most powerful dark side user of the time, Darth Sidious would have to had to be the largest source of dark side energy to draw from, which would allow him to stand toe to toe with even Yoda, who could be seen as equal in power and ability in the force and lightsaber capabilities as Sidious. Mace Windu, however, being similar or slightly weaker in the force and lightsaber capabilities compared to Sidious, could have tapped into Sidious's dark side energy to essentially tip the momentum of the fight in his favor and thus getting the better of Sidious, which can be seen in Sidious's reaction to being beaten by Mace Windu in a sort of how could this have happened expression on his face. Uh, basically, Mace Windu, through the use of this form, is really the only Jedi who could have defeated Sidious on his own by combining his his own force and lightsaber abilities with the boost from Darth Sidious's dark side energy. That being said, and as an afterthought, it is interesting that he didn't even teach Yoda this form despite Yoda being similarly seen as a paragon of the Jedi. Anyway, I'd love to hear your guys' opinion on that. Um, and he says he's adding it to his own headcanon. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's actually like a pretty plausible theory. Yeah, I think that how, is literally what happened. Yeah, I don't think that's really explained in the film. Though. No. I think we're post hoc adding that. Most of Star Wars is post hoc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it is, I think, it, like with the way Vapad is explained, that yeah. is definitely how it could have and should have happened. Yeah. It, it's like, it's like judo. You, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the more powerful or the more mass that your opponent has that actually advantages you. Right. Um, and that, yeah, explains why, like, Yoda, who is more powerful than Mace Windu as both the user of the Force and lightsaber, yeah. kind of matches even with Sidious, but Windu's actually able to take him down. Um, on that note, I just wanted to add that there is an intense lightsaber duel that was cut from episode three that was supposed to be between Darth Sidious and uh, Mace Windu. And you can see the choreography of the fight, like in B-reel testing between the stunt doubles uh, on YouTube. And I encourage everyone to go look it up. We were absolutely robbed of a oh, fantastic <laughs> fight scene. It's actually pretty crazy. And I lament that they didn't actually film it because it is amazing. They and if anyone's any good with animation, you can just rotoscope those Prequel guys. Prequel special something. edition. Come on. <laughs> 30 years later. You could add it in. You could 100% add it yeah, in. Yeah, it, it was... Uh, Especially with the tech we got now. They yeah, could, that's true. You could even just like mask on the <laughs> actors' faces. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, <laughs> good to go. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so, but no, yeah, you're, that totally makes sense. Um, and I think on some level, that is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if not, then that's my headcanon too. Yeah, mine too. Uh all right, uh, this next one is from a, they didn't have a name, they didn't give me their name, uh, a grateful fan. Okay, uh, and they're, here they're referring, so this is sort of a commentary on um, Order 66 and how many Jedi were killed. And uh, he says, uh, in your episode Bounty Hunters, you said there were probably only 25 or more uh, Jedi in the EU after Order 66. Um, but he actually corrects us here. Uh, he says, I'm fascinated with the Jedi survivors and had already compiled a list of Jedi survivors, and I think you will enjoy this. Uh, he says, feel free to look these up on Jedi, all these Jedi on Wikipedia in no particular order. 
So he gives us actually a list of nearly 195. There's 95 to be Yeah, exact. like by name. Yeah, by name. <laughs> I'm not going to like uh, name them all right here right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, totally checks out. Um, uh, and then at the end, he says, no, several of these names may be misspelled and most of the Jedi will have been dead by a new hope. Um, as a result, many of these names will not have Wikipedia articles on them. Also, Jin Altis supposedly led an order outside of the bounds of the traditional Jedi. So there are conceivably 300 plus Jedi in his order who are not on this list. I hope this helps. If you've not already, please make a Survivors of Order 66 episode. If you do, I hope this helps. I like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I definitely like the idea of a, that kind of an episode of that's a pretty cool concept. Yeah, stay tuned. Thanks for doing all the legwork and yeah. compiling this list because I like to imagine that you, anytime you see any piece of Star Wars content, you just scan it for any like mention of a potential survivor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just sitting any comic book, any movie comes out, he's yeah. just like that, it's actually impressive um, that he did all that legwork because uh, I'm not sure that there is like an official list. Um, maybe someone else has made one, but but it, it also brings up the other question of like. Just how terrible was Order 66? <laughs> like, they just couldn't do the do, job. Okay, well, just do the math, though. First of all... I know. What was there, 10,000 Jedi? Yeah, but that, hard, that number's also hard to pin down because you just had a war. There's like 10,000 yeah, at the start of the, the yeah, war. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're ostensibly recruiting Jedi. <clears> Jedi are dying. <throat> but even if you say that there's a roundish 10,000 yeah. and only 100 survived, that's still pretty good. Yeah. Not but, to say that the 100 is also conclusive. But I do feel like... Uh, Maybe just a little bit of uh, almost plot armor where it's like it, they make it seem in some stories they make it seem like, well, in the original, they make it seem it's Obi-Wan and Yoda. Are the only ones. <laughs> yeah, are the only yeah. ones. And then they start so like. Over time. Yeah. yeah, over time. It devalues, it, it. It devalues that, the survivors yeah, for that, sure. That's what yeah. I'm saying is like, you know, then it's like, okay, well, they're what, you know, if. If oh, it also lowers the stakes of Obi Wan and Yoda. Yeah, because then who cares if they fail? Yeah, there's someone tons of Jedi. Would, that yeah, can, someone else would have yeah. found Luke and helped him out. Yeah, <laughs> or who who cares if you even need Luke? Just yeah, exactly. start the Jedi Order altogether, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, you do it yourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's also a problem with it, but. But any, thank you for doing the legwork on that. Yeah. And uh, stay tuned. We'll definitely. I'd be interested to do a whole episode on it. I'm, we might have to break it into a couple of episodes if yeah, we're going to talk about there's 100, that many. 100 people. Maybe we'll just pick a few of like the notable highlights. Super, yeah, the yeah. highlights. And then we'll maybe do a quick list of all the other ones. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, just a little bit of housekeeping. Some of you may have noticed we do have, we are running ads now on uh, the show. Real you mean ads. Our fake companies <laughs> aren't paying us. <laughs> Not fake uh, ads, um, real ads. Uh, and actually, on that note, if you want to submit a in-universe ad to us, we love it. Either a script or um, a recording, you can submit to us, and uh, we'll probably play it on the show. It's just as long as it's decent quality. Yeah, yeah. decent quality. Um, anyways, we are running ads. Uh, you know, this is kind of a labor of love. It's it's more hours than money we make on this. <laughs> Pile on. Yeah, it, it's uh, you know, we're working. The money we get paid just from our Patreon is like uh, we're basically working Chinese sweatshop here. <laughs> uh, but um, so we have added ads and I'm sorry if that's annoying to some people, but it does help us out when you listen to the ads and it does help us out just to have ads. So 
please suffer through it. I'm also trying to figure out a way to get ad free on for subscribers and members. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, I hope to figure that out soon, but it's been a little bit tricky, but we are throwing ads on. I'm going to, I will be playing around with the ads a little bit. I'm trying not to make them too obnoxious. Also, I don't get to pick the ads. This is like a program with Spotify and they basically throw up the ads. So if there's like something that is like, you just think we wouldn't be into that ad or want that ad on our show, let me know and I'll try and see. You have a little bit of um, customization to, yeah. to uh, um, not allow certain ads. So, you know, let us know uh, and we'll we'll try and fix that. But on that note, you can also become a patron. Uh, starlords.com forward slash patreon and support the show for three dollars a month three dollars us a month i think it's very affordable very reasonable um so all you freeloaders you get onto <laughs> patreon and help us out uh <clears throat> and we'll give you a bonus episodes and we're working on a slew of more bonus episodes uh here as well um also connect with us on social media we're on twitter instagram and facebook discord as well uh, and we're on YouTube. Also, we have I throw up all the episodes on YouTube if you you like. If listening. you're so inclined, yeah. yeah. If you're so inclined, I don't spend like a whole lot of energy on YouTube, but I just throw it up there anyway. But hey, if you guys make it worth our while, like if you all go there, migrate there, and start watching enough of it, yeah, for maybe sure, we could start doing video content. Yeah, we video content is something I'd like to do at some point. Yeah. Um, but we just need some funding to, yeah, it's just, to oh, do the hours. It's yeah. like we're already spending a lot of hours doing it to justify doing more. The audio. We need to run ads. Yeah. <laughs> we need more patrons. So, um, But our patrons have been great. Thank you for supporting us. You've definitely helped us pay the bills. There are expenses with this. Flying um, a ship is not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but again, like I said, connect with us. If you have a correction or uh, an interesting fan theory, um, send send us a DM on any of our socials. Also, you can reach out on email at uh, starlordspodcast at gmail dot com, um, and also show us your like your book collections, your toy collections, uh, any of your collectible Star Wars collections. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> any of your Star Wars stuff. If you have Star Wars like fan fiction, send it to us. We'd love yeah. to read it. Like anything like Star Wars related um, that you're kind of into. Uh, we like to read it. And if we can, we'll share it either on the show or on one of our social Socials, medias. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, just want to kind of engage more with the community there. Anyways, uh, anything else, Christian? No, that's all for me. Okay. Peace. <laughs>